Welcome to Between Sundays. I'm Tyler, and you better believe I'm judging and will be judged with whatever judgment I judge, I will be judged. Tim <laughs> is here to hand us our list of vices and virtues from his sermon last weekend, but before we calibrate our moral compass, now that they have excavated the logs from their eyes, let's welcome our favorite co-hosts into this judgment-free zone, Marin and Barry. Good day, guys. Good day. Good day. Hey, well Tim. Done. Hey. Two weeks in a row. Yeah, two weeks in a row. All right, you're on. You're on like this uh, speaking and meeting tour. Every time I, every time I'm in a meeting, now you're in a meeting and you're preaching and you're everywhere. You hanging in there? You all right? Yeah, I'm all right. I need some time off, but I've yeah, yeah. Uh, but I I'm okay. You have some time <laughs> off coming up at the end of this week, right? Yeah, I'm taking Thursday and Friday off. I might as well tell Barry. I'm taking Thursday. <laughs> please, please do. Please do. I took I took Breaking this past news Thursday here on between off. Sundays. It's been like a month since I've had a day yeah. where I yeah. didn't have to work and Yeah, it's I feel um, like I feel the same way. It's like we're kind of being spread thin like like the old Lord of the Rings quote, like butter over too much bread. You shall not pass. So what what does Tim Ayers do on a day off? What do I do on a day off? Yeah, I feel like we know that Tyler plays games and we know that Barry works on his farm. What do you do on a day off? Um, well, my wife would probably say I work on my class, but um, <laughs> I so not um, not a day off. No, I we do lots of stuff. I mean, we I haven't had one in so long I can't think of. <laughs> oh no, do you not usually ride. Your bike? Yeah, but I like to, if I have a day off, I'd rather spend it with Jennifer. I mean, I can get a ride in, but I'd rather spend the time. Back when you could go places, we went to, we look, we, we have a lot of uh, original art in our house. So we like to go to art galleries and antique stores. We like that together. And uh, the last time we went anywhere, we drove, this is kind of silly, but we drove back roads to a, um, we call that uh, an outlet mall in Cincinnati. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Did you go to Jungle Gyms? Did you find a no. lot of classic works of art at the outlet mall in Cincinnati? No, no. They had a, I don't, I, I'll tell you, it was Brooks <laughs> Brothers. We went to a Brooks Oh, yeah. yeah. Cool. And, yeah. And I got a jacket, but the, the jacket that I wanted they didn't have it. This is terrible. I think I might've mentioned this, but they didn't have it at the outlet store. They only have it at the regular Brooks brothers. So we went to the, we drove back and went to the regular, um, Brooks brothers here and they had the jacket and it was $1,300. Oh my. <laughs> yeah. I, I, what a steal. I had it on and it was beautiful, wonderful cashmere navy blue looky there and the tag was like up under the under the collar and i was looking down and i kept thinking that said 130 dollars i'm thinking (laughs) this is a steal and then i backed and then i backed away and looked at it It was 1300 dollars. and when i said to the dude who was helping me try it on that i'd have to think about it he looked at me and just made some comment that made me feel like if you're in this store and you have to ask how much it is you don't belong in this store. Yeah, you should go so. next door to Gap me? or something. Yeah. <laughs> or have you tried driving to Cincinnati to the outlet mall? <laughs> yes, I just came from there. <laughs> well, they don't have, that's the thing. They don't have that coat at the outlet mall. So, so you were looking for that one coat, huh? I was because yeah. a, a few years ago, 
I got one in downtown Chicago at a Brooks Brothers right after Christmas, and it's the black version of it, and mm-hmm. it's a beautiful coat, and it wasn't very expensive, and so I just couldn't have imagined. It was so expensive this time that I felt embarrassed that I'd even thought about I mean, I can buy a car for that. So <laughs> you can buy my car for that. Well, I know I can buy my car for that. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, so yeah, I'm not getting a jacket. Barry, welcome back to the pod. Hey, Took thanks. Sorry for uh I loved loved the pod listening to it last last week, but sorry I wasn't able to join you. You everything okay? How are you doing? Yeah, things are fine. I mean, all things considered, as our listeners know, we're in the middle of this very challenging restructure of our staff and our ministry model, and it's a big reorientation. So it's kind of uh, it's kind of a lot. Uh, but the good news is that over the last several days, uh, we actually were babysitting your what would it be, Tyler? Your niece puppy, <laughs> your your wife's <laughs> That's sister's exactly how puppy. I refer to her. Yeah, niece uh, puppy. Your niece was it like an 11, 11 week old boxer named Indy yeah. that she uh, had had her stay at our house while she was on a trip. And so Cleo and this baby boxer were thick as thieves and it was just adorable, like constantly just like Rabbits chasing each other cameras? around, wrestling, playing, napping together. I mean, it was delightful. So in the midst of very time hard for a new days. Dog. It was, well, honestly, Cleo had such a good time. Although I wonder, is this what it's like with children? Because the moment Cleo had <laughs> another dog to play with, we didn't, we weren't connecting with her as much because she was too busy, preoccupied, having fun with this other puppy. So I'm like, well, I I like it because she's so happy, but I miss, I miss my Cleo. So I'm, um, I'm sure it's almost identical with I children. I don't <laughs> think that's what it's like for kids. I think it's a, like, that was a joke. Before the next kid, you're like, I wonder if I'm going to miss out on connecting with current kids, but then you have another kid and you're like, get these current kids away from me. Just give me the new baby who wants to pay attention to me. Wow. So, right. Oh, Guys? No, no, <laughs> no, no. Oh, that's just me. Nah, that was just you, man. Oh, all right. Yeah. But I mean, are you inspired to get a, a second puppy now, now that you know that Cleo I mean, loves uh, having a buddy? It. Kind of, yeah. Because that's I mean, how it is with kids. Yeah. <laughs> Cleo came to us. Cleo came to us completely, like somehow, uh, potty trained. Like she immediately. She only made like two mistakes or two accidents in the house. But <laughs> Indy, this other puppy, peed like all over our house, like <laughs> like twenty times. So uh, there is that factor when it comes to puppies. But man, yeah. I don't know. We'll we we're definitely. Uh, well, we're definitely talking about it because she had a real, real ball. Hmm. Marin, you're uh, you're very color coordinated over there today. Thank you, you so the, much, you got the, Tyler. The mauve, I do shades yes. and the mauve shirt. Very good. Yeah, those are yeah. window shades Tyler, to those who can't I tell see my what he's kids talking about. That, <laughs> oh, you're 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 talking about the background. Yeah, your oh, your curtains. Okay. Yeah, so it's super sunny in the sunroom, and I have drawn the curtains because there was terrible glare across the screen. Yeah, but I I tell my kids, I tell my kids that you are always the first person in the room to comment or notice if I'm wearing anything new at all. (laughs) At all, gotta be. And then you'll usually question my choices. Like, really? No, it's (laughs) always in support. Why are we wearing that T-shirt? No, it's not. (laughs) Never judgmental. It's judgment-free zone. Guys, yesterday or the other day, no, yesterday, I, I was getting ready to leave the house and I put on a shirt that I haven't worn 
like for a, for a bit. And as I was leaving, Liv goes, um, I'm going to get you some new shirts. And I was like, mm-hmm. Hey, <laughs> what are you trying to say <laughs> about my fashion choices? Like she wasn't insulting me. She was just that seeing that shirt was indication enough that she needed to buy some new shirts. Yeah. So I guess I know how, it, how it feels, Marin, to have things commented <laughs> about your, I'm in support. Shirt. I'm just, no, if nobody's going to notice, I got to, I got to. Last week you were like, did you get new shoes? Well, yeah, like, I wow, like the shoes. I-, <laughs> I almost asked again today. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Wow. All right, enough about this. We're in week four of our sermon series, uh, Credibility Gap. Right? So far, so good. Keep going. All right, good. Yeah. Tim, you're, you're here because you did back-to-back sermons. Um, talked about This week, you talked about how judgy Christians can widen the credibility gap. And you primarily focused on Matthew 7, uh, verses 1 through 5, and then Romans 2, right? Romans 2. Yep. Um, yep. But for anybody who hasn't heard it yet or wasn't in service, uh, what what was the, kind of the big idea you wanted people to walk away from with? Well, it's mostly just that idea that we need to be really careful when we put out judgments on other people. It was mostly about how we can uh, make judgments that seem inconsistent with lifestyle choices or the, the things that we feel are worthy of judgment and not worthy of judgment that can seem hypocritical to people outside of the church and that we need to be really careful about the way that we go about making vast judgments about certain things and not about other things. Mm -hmm. If we want to maintain credibility, the, the one thing that I wanted to avoid was to say that we're supposed to give a pass to everybody who does anything. Right. Because there are things that we have to say are just wrong, but the problem comes when we choose certain things that are going to be wrong over other things. And, we major in them and it just, I mean, people smell that one a mile away. Mm-hmm. I, I tried to use, it's interesting. I, I did talk about the example of when I was a kid, primarily because I wanted to emphasize the importance of, of how um, impressionable we are at that age. And that, there are things that adults may find to be uh, they can't quite figure them out and think that they have some sort of nefarious backside, which is what happened to me. And I will tell you, I have had tons of people contact me and say, this happened to me when I was a teenager. This happened to me. This happened to me when I was working in a, I've had a bunch of, I worked in a youth group when I was in my twenties and the church came in and did this or that. And it, and they, I had a lot of people, I had a number of people come up to me and say that I'd freed them from something mm. by the what I, I, mean, I said, I didn't free, you You know, it's like, mm. I guess that, but they were f- able to recognize that what happened to them was not singular mm. and that what had happened to them is something that has happened to many other people and that we all need to not have it happen anymore as much as we can. Tim, why do you I think... think- why do you think it happens so often like that? Why why do Christians so quickly get to gatekeeping with morality? Like you'd think in a whole faith system built on the idea of grace that we are all sinners saved by grace that we would 
naturally want to extend grace to others, but for some reason, it just seems like this happens. And it's not even a modern phenomenon. It always happens. It's no, happened in, no. you know, Jesus' I guess Barry's time just going to host. I I'm just, so, hey, I guess Barry's. you just can't let us ask any questions. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know what Tim thinks. Why does this happen to us all the time? Because if it's not divorce, it's long hair. If it's not long hair, it's, it's sexuality or whatever. It's like, why do we say you have to be you have to uh, change your morality before you can enter in and meet Jesus, who's supposed to change your morality, well, I guess. I don't know. about long hair and divorce and all that, people have little bits of scripture to back it up. They have bits of scripture that can be used um, if you just take the raw English translation and you don't do any other work with it. It can be used against people. Your next door neighbors, Barry, mm-hmm. at Grace, had this gaggle, massive gaggle of hippie kids that came with them to Grace. And yeah. there were people who said, we do not want those kids around mm-hmm. our kids. Mm-hmm. It, was a, it was like in the second year of Grace. And it was a big stink. It reminded me of what had happened back when I was a teenager. And they were just people who were afraid of those, the way those kids appeared and they just didn't want them around their kids. And I think it was, they were worried their kids were going to roll off with them. Become is, like it them. A, is it an insecurity? Like, are we insecure about something that? I think it's a fear. I don't know that insecure is the right word. I think it's fear. I know that with me, with what happened in, when I, when I was a kid, it was fear of, of somehow we were, we were denigrating the whole sacredness of church Mm -hmm. and that, that if we were going to be there, we needed to present ourselves in a manner that showed that we were respectful of the sacredness of everything. And that had, that would never crossed my mind that I was trying to be not, I was trying to be what's the word, What's the opposite of sacred in that state? But, you know, it's profane. like, I, yeah, I wasn't it, and profane. It just <laughs> that's the yeah, actual pro, opposite. Of, yeah. And yeah. I know what you mean. I, that's why I didn't say profane because it sounds yeah. it would it, it would have never crossed my mind that that's what was happening. I mean, that story. The weirder thing about it was and, and I that after that all fell apart, the senior pastor, the one who eventually apologized to me offered to give me and three other teenagers who were seniors an hour and a half every Sunday evening instead of because the youth group disappeared. Hmm. And I spent my senior year almost every Sunday evening with him while he was plotting to split the church and go away because of people like me. And so it made it even worse because it was such a sweet time and yet I'd have no idea what he was thinking about us at the time. And maybe he was terribly conflicted, but I couldn't tell. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell. But when he came to me later, I was actually running. And I think he – and I was visiting my parents. We didn't live here then, and I was visiting my parents and or my mom's house. And he had tried to find me there, and I was out running, and he drove around the neighborhoods until he found me. He actually confronted me face-to-face in the middle of a street where he pulled me over while I was running when he was in his car. It was so, he was so in, 
he needed to talk to me about it. It was so strong in it. So I, yeah, it's a, for most people though, I'll be honest, most people don't get over that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 The whole, uh, <clears throat> uh, speck in someone's eye and log in your eye. Um, <coughs> why do you think, why do you think Christians care about specks in people's eyes anyways? Like, why do we take that upon ourselves when the Bible is very clear? Like that, leave that judging stuff, like leave that up to God. Why, why do we take that upon ourselves I, to try to I, take care of that? I think it's because we're human. I don't think that the secular world's any different. I think everybody, yeah. everybody's essentially the same that we just blind to our own faults or that we, it's easy to excuse ourselves or there's a lot of group think too. Mm-hmm. When you get a lot of group think going, people, um, people pick at certain things together because they are, they've are they everywhere they go. That's the given. So, yeah, I think it's just part of the fallenness of, and, and it's, it's just that we haven't been made enough like Jesus yet to be able mm. to know the difference. I think it's just a sanctification issue. So I also Do think, you think it's, sorry, go ahead, Tyler. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, I also think like in the church, I almost think it's this kind of gatekeeping and judgmentalism is like a shortcut because, you know, if we as a community determine, okay, it's short hair and no smoking and no drinking, that's what a Christian looks like and no sleeping around, then we can put up a gate or a fence around that and say, if you're doing those things, you're not one of us. It doesn't actually get to like true life change or sanctification or anything in your heart. All we have to know is, are you doing the things that we've determined Christians don't do? And then that's like a shortcut. You know, I I wonder if, if that it's just, it's it's almost like lazy. That's exact. Yeah. That's exactly the same Mm -hmm. thing though, that Jesus was dealing with, with the, the rules, the rules that people had to follow in his day. I mean, it's just exactly the same thing. I know that I've told this story before, but my grand great grandfather worked on the railroad and while it, when he was a middle-aged man, the whole family got saved through the Grace Brethren Church. And he said, I work on the railroad and you can't work on a railroad unless you cuss and smoke and drink beer. And so I'm not going to accept Jesus till the day after I retire. And they were all fine with that. And the day after he retired... He went forward or the weekend after he went forward at the church and everybody got worked up and he never drank and smoked or swore again. But it was like, I, they all talked, that was a family thing. Hmm. And they all talked about it like it was good. And I was like, this is weird to me. <laughs> it weird to me. Do you think it's possible to judge someone and also do that in self-giving love. Do what? You mean judge them? Yeah. I think, yes. I think that there are times when people are doing things that are evil, really wrong or self-destructive. And we have to make a judgment that it's not, not that we're talking about the judgment of their soul or anything like that, but that the action itself is, it is not appropriate. Yeah. And that we and some, sometimes we have to speak firmly about 
what's I mean, I've had to do that tons of times to people who come in and tell me what they're doing. I say, you can't do that anymore. You know, it's like that is wrong, mm-hmm. but it doesn't change. It doesn't change my heart towards wanting to be gracious enough to walk with them while they try to find ways to repair the damage that they're doing. Yeah. Because so. I often think when I think about this, I, I, I'm usually th- trying to like, yeah, I know it's not like a formula or something, but I feel like the the most helpful, loving people are not judging, but the most judging people are usually not the ones helping and loving. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if it's possible to truly love someone and help them out of self-giving love and also judge them for what I, I think there's a difference between we got to be careful with the word judge mm-hmm. because judge means you determine what is true and then you sentence it. There's a difference between sentencing something and calling it what it is. A difference between judging something and correcting something? Yeah. Yeah. When I can't tell you how many times I've had guys sit across the desk from me and tell me they're having an affair. And I have to tell them that it's wrong, but it, but, but my, I don't immediately go and you are not allowed to ever set foot in this building again. And you are an anathema to us as a community and all that kind of stuff. That's the kind of judgment that we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, there have been people that I've had to tell they can't come to grace, but that's because of a history of, and it's mostly a history of something that was dangerous to the community. But, Hmm. um, but it's not my first natural response to to boot people. I am speaking out of ignorance here because I'm the only one here who's not a parent. Um, but I, I wonder if there are some parallels to parenting, especially teens, because I think so often what ends up happening is people, parents will see a behavior. They'll not just determine that that behavior is wrong, but they will then judge or decide what the motivation behind the behavior was and then add punishment or add ridicule or shame to the child as a way of trying to fix them from that behavior. When reality is the behavior is often completely unrelated to what they think is the reason like a child who's acting out may need more affection than discipline in certain settings. And if you, if you're judging, it's, it's like, I'm, I'm only focused on the behavior and I'm going to exclude you from my love or compassion. This is what unhealthy parents will do is I'll exclude you from the good things until you change your behavior when the best way to parent a child in certain situations, I'm assuming is to move towards them with love to find out what's causing this behavior in the first Mm -hmm. place. And I think we try to, we act more like the unhealthy parents when we, when we determine the motivation behind somebody doing something or exclude them from, from anything until they, until they change their behavior. I I don't know. You guys are parents. You can speak to whether that's true at all. Not to mention what you just described to be the, you know, quote unquote, good parent in that scenario takes a lot more work. If, Hmm. you know, if one of my kids is missing homework, it's a lot easier for me to just be like, oh, 
do your homework and you've got dishes for a week than it is to like get to the heart of the matter of where are you struggling? Why are we making poor decisions? Like that conversation, the, you know, laying the groundwork for him to make better choices in the future or her to make better choices in the future, like that takes longer. (laughs) It Mm -hmm. takes more effort on my part. Um, And it is a lot easier just to make a snap judgment and hope they learn their lesson, (laughs) you know? Yeah. (laughs) So this happened to me. This happened, this happened to you, Tim, in your youth. Um, again, just being judged for what you wore and it tore your youth group apart. It happened to me when I was a teenager just a few years ago. And I wonder <laughs> if it is still happening today, but if it just looks different. You know, I think it's easy to think of my grandparents. Um, my grandmother ran away to Mexico and got pregnant. I mean, my grandmother has a crazy wild story, but when she found Jesus through the Nazarene church, she was told that she needed to wear skirts every day of her life to be a good Christian. And she did Mm -hmm. to the day she died. My grandmother wore skirts every single day. Um, She tried to raise my mom that way, you know, again, just kind of this legalistic, um, well, this is what they told me it means to be a Christian. So Mm -hmm. I'm passing this on to you, you know, it, it happened in her day. It happened in your day. It happened in my parents' day. It happened in my day. It has to still be happening now to some degree, right? Are you asking me? I'm asking everybody because I'm, I'm sure that it's happening. I'm sure that it's happening. I'd like to think that we've come a long way since then. Yeah. Like we look at the way that our teenagers dress when they come to church and by and large, they're allowed to completely be themselves. I think, especially at Grace Church, I know at other churches, that's not necessarily the case, but at Grace Church, it is the case. But there are still those who will take great offense if, you know, somebody on the stage isn't dressed in a way that they deem appropriate. Yeah. I think much of that comes from the fact that Grace Church was started by people who all got told they had to dress a certain way to go to church. And so the one of the natural um, repercussions of that was that we started a church where you didn't have to do that. Mm. And I remember when I was an adult, it would have been two or three years before Grace started. I came to church in a pair of deck shoes and jeans with no socks. And one of the guys announcing, uh, giving the announcements pointed out from the pulpit that Tim Ayers is here today and he's not wearing socks. (laughs) (laughs) Off with their heads. As a joke or was he just being critical? No, I don't know. It was Doug Long. I love him. He's my friend. Calling him out. He called me out in front of everybody. It's like, I'm not. (laughs) He's not not wearing socks. I love Doug. I mean, he's the sweetest guy, but it's like, what? (laughs) I mean, he probably was kind of messing with me, but still it made a statement Hmm. that I didn't, I didn't need as a 37 year old adult man or so, however old I was back then. Yeah. And as if the fact that I wasn't wearing (laughs) socks would be a, a joke to everybody. That was a church without socks. It's like, 
Of course, Tim Ayers is the one who shows up at church <laughs> without socks. You're like pointing you know? to pictures of Jesus and sandals on the wall. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> this can't be that bad. <laughs> well, I'll be, I'll, let me, let me say, here's a serious, I mean, this is, this is intense and I'm probably stepping in it by even bringing this up, but there is one area that I think if we were to talk to our high school students today, that if they're not being actively quote unquote judged for this, they feel like they are not safe to talk about these things in some ways. And that's things having to relate relating to sexuality and gender. Um, mm. And I'm not about to open up a whole conversation that we need to get into right now about that, but yeah, I we will don't need say, to get fired today. We, no, no, we, no, can, we, no, we don't need the, to get fired. There's a perception. And I've, I received an email just the other day from mm. someone who they created, did I already talk about this? They created a burner email account so they could email me without me knowing who they are. They just went by the, the letter R and, and I don't, and they, they are, um, they're not in high school anymore, but when they were, they, they experienced something where they, from their perspective, a, a, uh, student ministry volunteer leader who came out as gay was kind of cut off and ostracized from the group that she was leading or something. I, I don't know the specifics, but from their perspective, it's not okay to be different or, or in any way when, when it comes to your sexuality or your gender. And, and since that time, this person has, has identified as transgender and it, and so they don't feel, they wouldn't give me their name because they're afraid that they will be judged, mm. you know, and, and I, I'm not making any kind of a statement. I know that we've got a lot of work to do, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of, of <laughs> what anyone believes about that specific issue, we've got a lot of work to do to create a loving atmosphere for folks uh, who are, who are gay or bisexual or transgender or whatever within the church, because without meaning to, or perhaps sometimes meaning to, uh, many in the church have put up a gate, uh, put up a wall and said, that's a line that you got to cross. You can't cross if you want to be a part, if you want to be with us. And so that's one example of something that I would say we are dealing with. And I don't know that many in the church have really great, clear answers for how to how to change in that way. We've made it a, a barrier to entry into the family of God. And so it's, uh, that's a lot, <laughs> but that, yeah. when you said that, Mary, when you're talking about what's today, I'm like, well, that's what our students are feeling and thinking. And, uh, I think we need to, we need to talk about it. And it's way more complicated than like jeans and long hair, uh, you know, because it gets into much, much deeper scriptural stuff and theological stuff. But mm-hmm. I've just pointed that out. Like that's one perception that people have and, um, it's worth, <clears throat> it's worth at least mentioning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as I was thinking about this show, the thing that kept me up last night as I was thinking about like questions and what I wanted to ask, um, and this is kind of meta, but <clears throat> the idea of the credibility gap in judgment we're telling people not to judge other people. Are we, are we judging the judges when we tell people not to judge? Couldn't a judgmental Christian point the finger at us and be like, well, you're judging me for being judgmental. What's the difference between like judging someone? <laughs> What's the difference between judging someone for like sin and then judging someone for judging the sinner? How that strikes me immediately is again, we got to be so careful with the way we use the word judge. Well, the whole like stick, the, the plank in the, or the log right, in the right, eye. Right. And the- right. So we're to spur one another onto good works. We're told that iron sharpens iron. I, I love my close friends 
um, especially those that are in the family of God. But if I see them doing the plank eye spec thing, <laughs> then in love, I should, I should bring that to my friend's attention in, in love and, and encourage her and spur her onto good works and iron sharpen iron in such a way. It's not me sitting back with my arms folded saying, Oh, guess my friend's going to hell. Got that speck in her eye trying to pick out somebody else's plank. Yeah. Like, it, it, it's not that, but I do feel a responsibility again within the household of God, within the family of God um, to be able to lovingly have, like Tim was saying, um, difficult conversations, honest and truthful conversations. I believe we're absolutely supposed to do that. And I, I don't think that that is us sitting in judgment against them. Mm, right. I think right. that that is us encouraging them. Um, even, even just to take a closer look and ask themselves some harder questions. Yeah. yeah. Like Jesus wasn't judging by saying that some people have a plank or in their eye, like he wasn't being judgmental by saying that, but he was still calling out judgmentalism, mm-hmm. but he was doing it in a loving way. And same, same with Paul in his letter. I mean, he's talking about how can you guys be judging other people? So I don't think in either case, they're excluding them from fellowship. And I think what we're talking about often leads to exclusion from fellowship. Mm-hmm. And so I, but I don't know. It's a, it's a good question. Um, I, I don't know. Here's the thing. Most of the time when it comes up, particularly in the church, it's not sin. It's scruples. It's just somebody's, uh, their, their preferences are cultural preferences that don't have really anything to do with sin. I'm not going to, I'm not going to have anything to do. I'm not going to have any problem rather calling out something that we know is sin, but it's when you get called out for something that people assume is either driven by sin or sin itself, when there's absolutely no connection to that being sinful I mean, there's no, there's no, I was just to use the stupid reference. There's nothing wrong with wearing bell-bottom jeans. Mm -hmm. That's not sin. And yet that's the kind of thing I think that we're really talking about. Though in Romans, I mean, that list is terrible. Yeah. The list that he lists out is terrible. And He's just saying, be careful because those are things that are just naturally easy for us to do. It's easy for us to gossip and to backbite and to be mm. greedy and to be heartless towards people. And we need to be very aware of the of the fact that we can find ourselves in those places just as easily as anybody else. Mm-hmm. So, Although I do think, I think you're right, Tim, and I want to put that on a t-shirt. It's not sin, it's scruples. Um, that'll be a fun uh, <laughs> thing to, hey, John, uh, to wear around. But. Way back in the day, way back in the day, John Crocker did a series called Just That. It's not sin, it's scruples. Wow. wow. And he went through all kinds of stuff that were just scruples. And <laughs> I've never word. heard anybody use the word that much, but now it's just, <laughs> but it's stuck in my head. Because I knew he was right. He was, he was right that it's, mm-hmm. it's almost like cultural preferences. Yeah. yeah. 
that that become signifiers of righteousness. Mm-hmm. And we've got to be really careful about that. Yeah, I'm laughing because when I was a teenager in my church, um, I wore like ripped up fishnet tights, combat boots. I had this bracelet that was like two and a half inch spikes. I was that punk rock kid. <laughs> and somebody... Somebody during the meet and greet time of every service, you know, turn around, say hello to your neighbor, shake a hand. Somebody refused to shake my hand um, in service. And this was an older gentleman. Um, <laughs> he, he threw both of his hands up as if to say, like, nah, no, nah, not only will I not shake your hand, <laughs> I will defend myself against your hand because, yeah, I can't shake your hand. Um, he told me that... Um, the, the devil inhabited um, pronged objects actually told me that. And my bracelet was a pronged object. So, you know, instead of getting hurt and leaving the church, that was never my MO. I don't know why. I should have gotten hurt and left the dang church. Yeah. But instead of doing that, I went to my grandma's closet. I told you she wore skirts all the time. Mm-hmm. And I got this thick green polyester skirt suit from like 1971. And I wore this to church the next Sunday just to make a statement. And that same guy looked at me in the hallway and said, you look sharp, kid. Hey, you, you, w- you did sharp, it. kid. I did. I, I, other people in the church laughed when they saw me walk into the sanctuary. They knew that I was being facetious and making a point. But he literally looked at me and said, you look sharp, kid. Mm. <laughs> I feel like just generally, because Tim, at, um, at the end of your sermon, you kind of did a 180 on the on the vices, the list of vices that Paul gives and <clears throat> created a list of virtues, basically. Always be generous, always be loving, always pay attention to other people and, <clears throat> and on and on. And uh, that kind of got me thinking like, at least at Grace Church, is it possible that Christians, in order to close the credibility gap, <clears throat> we need to stop talking about what we're against and start talking about what we're for? Like maybe if we got past the part where like God is holy and there's right and there's wrong and there's good and there's evil. And we included the part where God is gracious and therefore we are gracious. And I don't know, it made me, it made me wonder if if the perception of non-Christians is that Christians talk too much about what they're against versus what we're, what they're for. And a lot of people that I know would probably resonate with that. Like they don't hear me talk about what I'm for. They hear me talk about all these things that I, I don't like, or that are, that I think are wrong or things like that. What do you guys think? Uh, I feel like God is against bigotry. And it's okay for us to come out and say what he is against. You know what I mean? But I, I hear what you're saying about how we should lead from a place of love and what he is for. I mean, it's why the gospel is supposed to be good news. We, we should lead with that positivity, um, you know, freedom, salvation, love, all those things. But I don't think that we can get away from saying what he is and we are against um, because again, that, that goes to show his heart for justice. That goes to show the truth of the kingdom in some ways. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's either or I think it's a both and. Mm-hmm. 
I have, I don't, have you had people say a lot to you about grace that we're, we're against a ton of stuff that they're. No, not grace specifically, but if we're thinking about the credibility gap as a whole and 90% of non-Christians think Christians are judgmental, that's a negative, that's a negative connotation. So I, I get that. I just know that even when Barry started the series, we were talking about it's us. We're not going to be talking about other churches and things like that. I will say this, that when I told that story about the girl at the beginning, she found, um, grace at grace and that her life was changed. She actually, actually that story, two young women came in to talk to me. One was her and another was just a girl who had been in an abusive marriage and had been shunned by her family because she'd divorced her husband. And they came in to talk to me, but they both found healing in our community. And the one girl who has an arranged marriage is now married and a pastor. Hmm. And so I, I think I get what you're saying. I just like to keep it really close to the vest when we're talking about, uh, about that, because I, I am not afraid of having people point out things that they see that are wrong with us. But I know that we have worked really hard to not be that community mm-hmm. from day one. Mm. Because, because so many of us came out of circumstances that were just untenable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Here's the deal for me. I have been for the most part, for the most part, safe in saying to people who have something against the church, well, come check us out. I felt safe most of the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and we, and I, we say, I mean, and it's true, like all are welcome here. And, and we want, we desire to be a church that is genuinely like you come as you are. It doesn't matter whether you're deep in the midst of like, you know, crazy brokenness, whether you're super lost or burned by the church or anything like come, come in, like we'll be a community that can offer healing to you. I think we have work to do for that to happen at the individual level. I think there's, it's, it's tempting and easy for the average person. I mean, how hard is it or how easy is it to, to look at somebody sideways if they're wearing something that you don't approve of, or how easy is it to like, you know, recoil a little bit when you, I don't know, when you see someone who's evidencing like some, like if someone's coming, I've had people come into grace, you know, hung over and, or smelling like alcohol and like, how easy would it be for someone to step away from that person a little bit and subtly imply you're not welcome here. So it's, mm-hmm. it's corporately, we can say it and I believe it and it's been true for us, but we also have, I think we've got to keep working at creating that culture and that environment of welcome all the way down to the individual level. I'd agree. I don't think we'll ever get it right. I think we'll yeah. always be working on it. I, and it's, and times change the issue too. the culture moves in different directions and it becomes yeah. a different issue. It, so I, yeah, I, 
And also, so many people are come in with they've got a chip on their shoulder to start with. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I, I, because it's really easy to see something if you're looking for it. But I think the more we talk about it, the more we talk, the more we want to be a welcoming and open, open hearted community. The more we talk about it, the better it'll be. Mm-hmm. So, and people who don't want to be in a place like that, they can find plenty of other places to go. So I hate yeah. to say it that way, but, but, um, I really don't want to have to go through another time when a group of parents come to us and say, you got to get rid of that youth pastor and the people that he's bringing in because we don't want our children around those people. Mm. So, Tim, you said there was a, a third story and you, you told me to ask you about it on the podcast. Do you feel that's a story you should tell? <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember asking me or reminding me? To, oh, yeah, to I remember. You? I've been thinking about whether I should tell that story. Oh, boy. Not. Can you leave names out? <laughs> it's not names. You already it's called fun. out Doug Lewis or whatever his <laughs> name was. <laughs> no, because I don't, I don't want it to. No, I'm not. That, I'm not. I don't. I had an when I this has been a long time ago I'll tell it it's not I mean I've told it before and I've told it to the teenagers before but I when I came when I start moved to Indianapolis we moved to Indianapolis and I started working at a big horticulture company and I was the production manager and I had piles of employees that I oversaw and it didn't take me long to figure out and they hired lots and lots of young women to be what they called water girls. That's what they called them. But they did water flowers and to prune plants and stuff, but plant flowers. And didn't take me long to figure out that somehow it had become known in the lesbian community that this was a great place to work. And I had dozens and dozens of lesbians working for me. And I spent a great deal of time in a truck with driving around with these ladies, just, you know, checking on stuff and things. And I would rotate through just so they all got to know me and trusted me and in the work that we did all, it was horticultural work all over the central Indiana early. And the more I got to know them, they would open up to me and they loved me and we'd have people over and, to our house for dinner and we got, I got to be really good friends with a whole bunch of them. And I thought in night, this is like 1981 guys, mm-hmm. AIDS had just struck mm-hmm. big and I'd never been around this many um, <clears throat> lesbians in my life. I mean, it was just very unusual for me to suddenly be surrounded by them because they were all part of this community and they all knew they could work there and it was cool work that they liked and they liked me. And so I went to the elders at the church that I went to and said, I don't know what's going on, but my wife and I are, they're having a lot of these people in our lives and they're asking us serious questions and they want to know they're talking faith with us and all that kind of stuff. It was very, very, very serious. And I said to the elders, I just wanted you to pray for me and let you know that this was going on. And 
they were all about they prayed over me and it was all this warm fuzzy thing and then after it was done we're sitting there it's got kind of quiet and one of them said one of the elders said but you're not going to bring any of those people here are you Hmm. and i thought about it a minute and i said absolutely not Hmm. I would never bring them here. And of course, they all breathed a sigh of relief. And for me, it was, this is about as offensive as it could possibly get to me because I came here because I love these people and I don't know what Jesus has for them if they, once they follow through on following him, but I want to be able to introduce them to a community that's going to open their arms to them and represent the love that I'm telling them is real. And they're clearly seeing in my family. Mm. And I've got lots of stories about that time in my life. And it, with that whole thing, but there was, it. fortunately, they let me know early on at the church that they didn't want to see any of those people there. And at least those, that group of men did not. Mm. And that... Again, it starts to touch on this issue of uh, homosexuality, but that was not what the issue really, really was. It was just that this was a group of people that at that time, it was unimaginable that God would have any have any reason to bring them into a church. Mm-hmm. And I was... I, I chalked it up to just never having opened their hearts to anybody who wasn't just like themselves. Yeah. Mm. And, and because this was not, I did not look for this. It just happened. And I am thankful for that time. I'm thankful for it. And I still, I, I don't have anything to do with, I did until just a few years ago have things to do with some of those women, you know, they're all in their fifties and sixties now. I mean, they're grown older women now. And fortunately I never tried to take any of them to church. Wow. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. Well, it made me smarter. Hmm. It just made me smarter to know, okay, now I know what I'm dealing with. Hmm. And, so let's um, – I'll tell you one more story, and then I'll shut up about this. There was one gal who worked for me who was particularly friend – became particularly friends with us, and she lived on a farm with another woman, and they had a big party for lots of people and they, on the farm, and they invited my wife and our kids, and we had three kids, and they were about ages seven, five, and three. And they had horses in a barn that was across a long field away, pretty far away from the house. And they, this woman and her partner said, would your children like to go see our horses? And Jennifer and I, and the kids were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they started, they started walking across the field to go to these horses and here are these two gay women, and our children are on either side, on all around them, all walking hand in hand across the field to go see the horses. And I turned to Jennifer and I said, we're serious about this, aren't we? 
I don't think there was another person in our lives at that time in the early 80s who would have been willing to allow their trust anyone who was in in that world to trust their children to go to a barn across a field from us that would have been the idea of all of that was just and we just looked at each other with tears in our eyes and said dear jesus we are serious about this because i don't think we could have shown them any more respect as human beings than to give them permission to walk our children hand in hand to a barn away from us and yet that that moment sealed it for mm-hmm. us, both in our res- resolve and those two women's um, realization that when we spoke about Jesus, which I did with them often, we were we were representing somehow that moment represented to them that they they had dignity beyond all of the stereotypes. Mm-hmm. So I just I mean, that's that was a very powerful moment for us. And I felt like it was the dividing line in our lives as to whether or not we were seriously following Jesus or not, that we were willing to entrust Mm. our children in that manner. And nothing was going to happen to our children, but there wasn't a person on the planet in my other world who would have thought that that was a wise thing to do because you can't trust those people, you know, and it's just like, Anyway, what do you think the difference was then, Tim, if you you grew up in that other world of strict conservatism or or whatever, what made you so different coming out of the same community that, you know, your peers had had been brought up in? I have no idea. I think it's that I I had I had a couple of uh, people who were um, a couple of people who were influential in my life who were uh, uh, open to just simply loving me and my friends and seeing the good in us. And I was always of the opinion that everybody else was just crazy, that, <laughs> that I, I had somehow figured out something that made it work and I was just going to live into it. Hmm. I don't know. I had a good, I had a small group of people around me and I had one thing that was going for me that, I would say is still the thing that's going for me and that I had Jennifer with me most of that time. Hmm. Like you could have been like every other kid in that youth group and made that the, the moment you decided to stop following Jesus. I could have that happened to every kid, but you, but you I could have chose people, that route. Yeah. I had other people in my life that I had other adults in my life. One of them was Ron Bowman, who we just sent, <laughs> sent home to the Lord. I mean, that guy sought me out every time he could to tell me, you're okay. Don't you worry about it. You're okay. Mm. We love you. I mean, he, he was more of a, he was more of an, an encourager to me than those people were a discourager to me. Mm. And so, yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, John Luganbill and Bob Luganbill who go to our church now, their dad, Howard Luganbill, he was the same way. And I mean, I can think of these people, Arnie Jacobs, who was the head of Young Life, mm-hmm. he heard what was happening. And he, I didn't even go to Young Life. And he found me and said, come on. You, uh, and not to come to Young Life. He says, just come on. We need to talk because you need, you need to talk to somebody who gets you. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah. I, I ask you that because that's – I think that's the point for all of us to take home. That one loving, supportive, encouraging voice – 
can be enough in some cases, Absolutely. even in a sea of hmm. negative judgmental voices. And we hmm. can be that voice for somebody. Yeah, that's my, that is practically what I live for. Mm-hmm. I, I want to be that one voice for somebody. Barry, where do we, uh, where do we go next? We're going to wrap up the series this coming weekend talking about <clears throat> the credibility gap being widened by dogmatism, I guess, or being dogmatic. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm just really going to talk about, um, what does it mean for us to approach truth, approach faith in a way that, that opens the door to conversation and invites, invites conversation rather than shuts it down, uh, mm-hmm. is kind of what it boils down to. So I'm going to be inviting us to wonder and let that be our posture. Um, wonder, not certainty, I guess. So, yeah, Tim, thanks for, uh, thanks for two weeks of, of great sermons to respond to. I know that as we looked, look ahead and how this church will treat the credibility gap. I know that we're going to look back on this series and be like kind of the manifesto of how to, how to behave when we want to, when we want to close it. So thank you for, thank you for your words and <clears throat> your sermons well, the past couple of weeks. Yeah. I'm just honored that I get to serve in a place where this is even a, we're even able to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I think um, we've been able to talk about this kind of stuff for a long time, but it's it's an unusual place. And some people have said to me, they don't get why we're talking about this. Shouldn't we be talking about other stuff? But no, I think it's important to talk about it. All right. Barry, you'll be back next week. You're, you're preaching, right? I am. Okay. So back to the old gang next week. We'll be here. Marin, will you and your mauve curtains uh, please send us out today? I, I will, but can I say the whole thing? He has shown you, oh man, oh man. what is good. And what I does the, the Lord require part. of you but to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And we'll see you on the other side, oh man, of Sundays. Sundays.